And Lord, open our eyes, open the eyes of our understanding, open our hearts, Father God, uh, to humbly receive your word. Like Mary, Father God, the mother of Jesus, when the angel came to her and said, you're going to have a child, and that child's going to be of the Lord. And she said, how can that be? I don't understand. This does not make sense to me. How can, I, how can it be? How can I get pregnant when I've never known a man? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and that, and that Holy One that will be in you will be of the Lord. He gave her some understanding, understanding that didn't really make sense in the natural, but enough for her to say, be it unto me as you said. And so, Lord, let that be our attitude as it pertains to your word, Father God, when we come at a crossroads where what we've read doesn't mesh with what our natural understanding is, Father God, may we inquire of you. May we take private audience with you like your disciples and, and ask you, Lord, to give us understanding because we want to know the truth. We want to believe. We want to walk in your truth in Jesus' name. So, Father God, really help us in that way, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I believe the Trinity is taught in both the Old and New Testaments. Uh, I think uh, it is, for the most part, impl uh, implied in the Old Testament and uh, expressed more directly in some verses in the New Testament. Uh, starting with the first uh, verse I want to share this morning, for instance, the Bible clearly states in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. I'm starting with this verse because before I want to talk about the Trinity, I want you to know we're not talking about polytheism. We're not talking about three different gods. There is one God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus referenced this very scripture in Mark chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 28 through 30. And it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's often quoted as the most important verse the second part of that. But it starts off with, Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Right? One, and I look at that in two instances. He's, he's not divided or splintered. He's undivided. He's one. He's in union with himself. And secondly, there's only one God. There is none like him, nor will there ever be. There is no 
Different religions worshiping the same God? No, there is one God, and there is one way to God, that is through Jesus Christ. That is what the Bible, the Word of God, teaches, and that's where we stand. Amen? And so, we're not talking about polytheism here. We're talking about one God. So, the Scripture says there is one God, Israel. The Lord our God is one. Jesus said the Lord our God is one. All Christians must affirm that truth. I know in this uh, diversity climate and everything, that can be made to seem like we're being uh, uh, bigoted or being uh, whatever the word is. I don't know why I'm blanking out over here. But the, but the thing, the uh, word exclusive comes to mind, you know. Uh, thank you, brother. But my counter to that is we're not arguing our opinions or perspective here. All we're doing is relaying what is in the word of God. Now, you can reject my faith. You cannot accept my faith, but you can't tell me what my faith or the word that my faith is based on, you know, you, you can't argue that, right? And if, my, if, if, if the word of God says that there is only one God, then there's only one God in my faith. And there is no yielding to pre outside pressures trying to get us to compromise there. You're not being ungodly. You're not being unchristlike to stand there. Now we don't have to be belligerent and rude and mean-spirited about it, but we need to be sure. And we need to stand. And when someone has a question, why do you believe the way that you do? We need to be prepared to give a biblical answer for it. And they can do what they want to do with that answer. But you answer it in truth and you stand in the truth. Amen? So, the same Bible that says that there is one God there's no God but one. has verses within the Bible, that same word of God that speaks to the diversity of God. And I want to start off in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, first three verses to address this. Some of it seems so subtle you can miss it. And that's why we should be faithful and diligent to reading God's word over and over and over again. But it says here in the very beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Who created the heavens and earth? God created the heavens and earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And, everybody say and. And, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. God created the earth. Now we got the spirit of God hovering over the earth, we've got two expressions of God here at creation. 
Third, let me find my place. Goodness gracious. Here we go. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, I want you to say that with me, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, we're talking about Trinity, right? We've got God at creation. We've got the Spirit hovering over the deep. What I mean by subtle in the Old Testament, it's subtle, it's light, it's not expressly stated in the Old Testament, but it is brought out in the New Testament. There's more to the and God said than it at first seems when we read the book of Genesis. I want you to go to John chapter 1 with me. Starting at the first verse, and this is like a more, this is a a, a retelling of creation, of the account of Genesis chapter 1. And he says, in the beginning was the word, and God said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right? So there's no distinction between the Word and God. Are you hearing me? And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we see God expressed in three persons, the Trinity, although the word is not mentioned in the Bible, that's just a word theologians came up with to actually explain what the Bible is saying. They're trying to encapsulate it. But we've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit represented there in creation. It's not immediately evident in Genesis, but John pulls it out and lets us know in addition to God the Father, in addition to the Spirit, the Son was present as well. That same word, and God said. And if you go through I debated whether or not to do this, and I don't know if I'm gonna, how far I'm going to go with it. But routinely, between verses 1 to 27, you know, I just, I just continued to repeat those last night and this morning. And God said repeatedly as he was uh, creating a new facet of creation. And thinking about, that's the word of God. That's the same word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son, in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ. He was there at the beginning, and nothing was created without him. Before everything that was created, what does the Bible say? And God said. 
I couldn't make this argument. I couldn't make this presentation to you if it were not for John. I wouldn't have enough, I believe. Uh, maybe I would, uh, uh, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but John really, uh, really helps us transition and helps us uh, shed some light on the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there in the beginning of creation. And I want to continue this, uh, continue this theme. Uh, creation will be another. I don't want to bleed over into creation because at some point I'm going to talk about that as far as our core beliefs and core convictions. So I don't want to uh, reinvent the wheel and keep and be too repetitive on that. So I'm going to try my best to just stay within this concept of uh, the Trinity and just let the scripture speak for itself. And one thing I'm going to say that I'm not going to do, I've done it too many times and reflecting back on it, uh, none of them were adequate. I'm not going to give any like analogy. I'm not going to use an egg. I'm not going to use pie. I'm not going to use <laughs> anything to try and serve as an analogy of the Trinity because every analogy falls short. This is not something that makes natural sense. This is something that is spiritually discerned. This is something that is, uh, that is of the Lord. And, it, you know, it's pleased God to use the, the foolish things to confound the wise. Not everything is meant to be fully understood in our minds. And every time I've tried to do an analogy, I believe it was an an attempt to make it sound less foolish, to make it sound more sensible, to try make it sound more practical, to help it be easier to embrace. And you know what? I'm just not going to do that. I'm just going to say what the Word of God says, especially on the heels of last week when we're saying the Word of God is God-breathed. It's God's Word from the first verse to the last verse in it. And we've got to make a choice whether we're going to stand on it and acknowledge it as the truth, as it is in truth, God's word. And do we trust him or not? Amen? Do we have to, do we have to fully understand everything in order for us to walk with God in faithful obedience and trust in him? I hope not, because there's still some stuff I don't quite get. And I don't know that we'll ever get it all. There are some things that won't be, that probably we won't be able to understand until we're in our glorified bodies and we're on the other side with the Lord. And we're in good company because Peter said in reference to Paul that there are some things that Paul, some revelations that Paul had and things that Paul taught that are difficult to understand. And so when God wants us to understand it, guess what? He's a big God. He's able to give us understanding. In the meantime, we just walk in the knowledge and understanding that we have and just continue to trust God every step of the way. Uh, so, Jesus was there in the beginning. He is the word 
become flesh. He was the word dwelling among us. Matthew chapter 3 is another verse that while it, excuse me, doesn't mention the word Trinity, you see all three persons expressed in this passage. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17 is what I will read when he went to go, when he went to be baptized by John. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? So we've got God the Father speaking from heaven. We've got the spirit of the living God descending on him like a dove. And we've got the son of God in the flesh being baptized. They're not, and the reason why I don't want to use analogies, if I were to use an analogy like a slice of pie and stuff like that, well, people argue over that all the time, right? Every slice you get is one slice I don't get. So if I cut the pie into fourths, then each slice is just one-fourth of a whole. It doesn't work for God because Jesus isn't one-third of God. The Spirit isn't one-third of God. The Father isn't one-third of God. They are all fully God. And yet God expresses himself in this holy moment of Jesus' baptism, speaking from heaven as Father, descending down from heaven as the Holy Spirit upon the Son, the Holy Son of God. And that's at his baptism. Uh, I want to Go to the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. This is regards to the commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's one God, one Lord, one baptism, He says, I want you to baptize them in the name 
the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, we get all twisted up in this stuff sometimes. You know, when I, when I baptize people, I got, I got tired of the arguments or debates about whether you should baptize in the name of Jesus or baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So I don't know if you've noticed, if you've seen me baptized, I just say, in the name of Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I just get it all done so nobody, everybody's happy, right? In the grand, in the grand theme of things, you, you can do it either way, right? There is no division. There is no um, disunity in the word of God. The Bible actually uh, says in Colossians 2 verse 9, for in Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Right? In Jesus, that name, Jesus, is the name, no other name given among men by which we should, must be saved. That name, Jesus. So if you were baptized in the name of Jesus, you're good. Don't worry about it. If you're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you're good. Don't worry about it. The three are one. Jesus is not less than the Holy Spirit or the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. I didn't give y'all uh, I won't make a, a scripture reference. I'll just, I'll just say it. You know when Jesus had a man that was brought to him that needed to be healed. And he said to that man, your sins are forgiven. It caused a stir. And the reason it caused a stir is because only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what he was doing and what he was saying and how it would go over when he said it. And in that moment, he's revealing, right, that, 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 that he is God. He's a part of the Trinity. He's a part of the Godhead. He has the authority. He has the right and the authority to forgive sins. Not just, notice, he didn't say, what you've done against me, I forgive you. No, he says, your sins are forgiven. I can, I can forgive you an offense against me. And I can do that without it being attributed to any divinity on my part, right? You offended me, I'm choosing to forgive you. But only God can tell you your sins are washed away. Your sins are removed from you. You are forgiven. 
And that just crawled all over the Pharisees because they knew in that moment he is equating himself with God. I want to, I want to give them a fair shake. There's a reason why they wanted to kill him, right? And so they didn't see him as the fulfillment of the word of God. They saw him as a heretic. They saw him as saying things about himself that was heresy. But it's only heresy if he's not who he says he is. They were waiting for a Messiah, and whether they believed it or not, he is. Jesus is that Messiah. I intentionally today uh, kept myself to a narrow scope without any concern for how long or how short the message would be. But as far as scripture verses are concerned, that's all I gave uh, the multimedia booth back there. And that's really in a nutshell what I wanted to present to you, the sons and daughters of God. Hey, Robert and Annette, how y'all doing? God is faithful. God the Father, and as I close this thing down, I, I am just filled with gratitude as I, as I think about this. I'm filled with gratitude because I'm thinking about God in creation in that wonderful vision of God to create the world we don't know in its fullness because we've grown up and our existence has been in a fallen world. We see glimpses through God's mercy, through God's provision, through how God is working in us and through us. We see glimpses of what things will be like someday. But I see God creating this wonderful place and to know that that God already loved us so much that he had a plan of salvation in mind from the very outset of creation. So I can look forward to what God has for me as one of the redeemed, but I want to look back and appreciate what God 
prepared for us and what God has done for us. God the Father loved us so much that he prepared and made a place for us to fellowship with him, uh, gave us everything we needed to thrive, to, to reproduce, to grow. And that got, in, you know, that, that got uh, messed up when Satan came in and, and pulled man into sin. And God had a choice. And really, I say he had a choice, but knowing his heart toward us, he didn't really have a choice. He had already made his choice that we were worth saving. That we were worth redeeming. That we were worth restoring. And a God who created everything from nothing. And now that's another mind blower. I can't, I got nothing for you there. But God who created everything from nothing could have easily done it all over again after the fall. And yet, he chose us. Amen? You know, and there was a time in my life I didn't feel wanted. I, I didn't feel like I fully belonged. I didn't feel embraced. And yet, it, it, it can tell you how, I can tell you how fulfilling it was to know that God wanted me. Flaws and all, he wanted me. I was fully known by him and yet fully loved. And you know, something about that, that was a hook in me. That was something that, uh, that, I, was, that I was looking for, belonging and acceptance. And maybe, maybe there's somebody out there that's, that's struggling in one or both of those areas. I want you to know, in God's heart, you belong and you're accepted. He made the decision, he made the choice to redeem rather than start over because of you. He chose you. And I can't help but be filled with gratitude every time I think about that. You may be feeling guilty here this morning and feeling like, uh, feeling like a heel. Maybe you've royally messed up. And, uh, and you, you're beating yourself up. The same God that didn't start over at creation wants you to know there's redemption for you. There's restoration for you. There's forgiveness for you. He wants you. So don't run from him. Run to him. Embrace him. Because he loves you. And and continuing from that story there, continuing from God's choice of creation, to God sending his son into this earth. For sinful man 
Think about it. Before Jesus came, we all stood condemned before God. We were all destined to hell. We were all destined to the lake of fire. I mean, our destiny was certain because there was nothing that we could do to bridge that gap. There was nothing that we could do to satisfy the sin debt. Nothing. The only one who could do anything about it was the same God that in Genesis chapter 1 that created us and everything, the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. And as Romans says in, 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 in chapter 5 of Romans, as it says, while we were still enemies, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God the Father would not let us be lost with no hope. He had a plan of salvation for us. And God the Son came down and enacted that plan of salvation and redemption by allowing, by, by fulfilling the law, allowing himself to go to the cross and have his innocent life taken, his innocent blood spilled, and his innocent life taken to satisfy our sin debt. Not because he deserved it. That's what we deserved. But he did it because he wants you. He did it because he loves you. And in that, I see God's faithfulness. He's faithful to us. Right? He created this world. He gave us dominion over it. We gave that dominion up. And yet he remained faithful. We sinned against God, yet Jesus comes. He remains faithful. And he became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I want you to think about the character of God. Now, I said it in the opening prayer my daughter Brittany said it during worship. Um, the Spirit of God is, is, is saying something here. Um, we have all kinds of troubles and trials. We have all kinds of issues that, that we go through, and that can cause us to question the character of God sometimes. Why God? If God was really a loving God, God, I don't deserve this. When every time we say, God, I don't deserve this, we're telling God that he's unjust, that he's unfair, that he didn't do something right. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just... But think about the faithfulness of a God that could have started over but chose to redeem us instead. And a God 
that could have made us fend for ourselves but chose to become sin and fulfill for us what we couldn't fulfill so that we could be redeemed by grace through faith. Not merit, not earning anything. He did it all himself for us. You know, the, I mean, the, the, the word faithful just comes to mind over and over. He is so faithful to us, even though we're so sometimey with him. I don't even know if that's a word, but we're just, I don't even, I don't even think it's possible for us to be as faithful to him as he is to us. And I just wanted to paint that, that picture. God wasn't obligated to do what he did after the fall. He did it because of his great love for us. He wasn't obligated to die on a cross for us. He did it because of his great love for us. God the Father's redemption plan, God the Son becomes our propitiation, the Lamb who suffers our sin, and then as he is rose up, he raises, he's risen, and he goes to be seated at the right hand of God, God the Holy Spirit comes, and he's our helper to lead us into all truth and to make us able to walk as the men and women of God that, we've, that we are now in Christ. You know, this Christian walk is not something we can do on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. This flesh, it, it encumbers us and and, and if we walk according to this flesh, we will fail. But we got to walk in the spirit. And one of the reasons we got to walk in the spirit is that we can't do this apart from the leading and the working of God the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we didn't start over. He paid our sin debt so we could be reconciled with him and he is leading us and guiding us into all truth, enabling us to walk as children of God in this decaying and worsening world. And that Holy Spirit is our guarantee, our promissory note for that day when Jesus returns. And when he turns, we're going to meet him in the air. And when he returns, we're going to bring with him and when he returns, there's going to be light. There's going to be life. There won't be any more death. There won't be any more sickness. There won't be any more temptation. There won't be, you know, there won't be any more selfishness. There won't be any more arrogance. There won't be any more lying and crime and all those things. Everything will be as it was intended to be when he first created all things. Amen? He's making it all happen. We're here as sons and daughters of God today by the will of God. By the will and purpose and plan of God. Thanks be to God that we responded in faith when God revealed 
the truth of himself to us. Amen? And I pray wholeheartedly that God uses each and every one of us here today as vessels of his honor to help someone else see the light of his truth. That they will make the decision that we made and then they can be among the redeemed. That they can know this love that we know, this faithfulness of God that we know. That they can know that they're wanted, that they're fully seen by God and still fully loved by Him. And I know it's like you probably, hey, Pastor, you started talking about the, the Trinity. But you know, that's God. The Trinity is God. God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You can't talk about him and not talk about his heart. You can't talk about him and, and not talk about his favor and his love for us. You can't not, we can't talk about him and not talk about what he's done. And I think that that's why it's important for us to see fully in scripture, how God has expressed himself. This isn't meant for you to show off and, you know, oh, well, hey, let me tell you, you know, let me give you a discourse on the Trinity, this or that and the other. It's for, you know, scripture reveals God. And all I'm doing is doing what I can do to take what scripture has revealed and just relay it to you so that you can know your God. You can grow in the knowledge of him. And as you do, you grow in understanding just how much you mean to him and what he has uh, done for you and how far he will go for you. Those are some extreme extents that God has gone to for us. Put yourself in God's shoes. How much of all the stuff we put God through would you put up with? Before you say, forget this, I'm done with it. I, you know, I know it's a hypothetical and so forth. I think if we're honest with ourselves, you know, uh, we first of all, we wouldn't have put in our Bible. If we were God, if we were the author of it, we probably, the word long-suffering would not be in there. Not as it pertained to us, <laughs> right? And yet God describes himself as being long-suffering. That's an attribute of God. He's long-suffering with us. Why? Not wanting anyone to perish, but that all of us to come unto repentance. See, he's always got our best at heart. He's always, you know, he, he's always going to give us plenty of opportunity to come around. I mean, to end up in hell, you've got to earn that because God has done everything to make us aware of the truth. And, um, and I believe that 
If it means that much to God, then I pray that it means that much to us. And that we can look at the world in which God has called us, look at the whatever environment and location that God has planted us, and be mindful of who does not know God. Who are the one amongst the 99? Who is out there that don't know you that I may get that I may be blessed to have the opportunity to introduce to you, Lord? Who out there walking in the darkness that I can somehow our paths can cross and I can plant a seed or I can water a seed or or I can have some influence in their lives that that may be a part of your leading them to repentance. I just want to challenge you to be mindful of that. Let that be a part of your regular prayer before God. That I'm available to you here, Lord. There are people in my community that don't know you. And I know I can't, you know, I know I can't save everybody. I know I can't reach everybody. But, Lord, I want to reach the ones that I can. Lord, I want to reach the ones that you want me to reach. And so, Lord, highlight them to me. I'm looking for those opportunities. Lord, Holy Spirit, guide me so that I may take advantage of those opportunities. Give, make me sensitive to where people at and what their needs are that that I might be used of you, Lord, to let them know that they are wanted by you, that they're loved by you, and that you sent Christ to redeem them. I'm going to ask you all to stand. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, as scripture says, you are the fullness of the Godhead and and in bodily form and you are our Lord you're our Savior our Lord our King thank you that you gave your life for us thank you for being faithful to the command into the will of God the Father. Thank you for being obedient unto death. Father God, thank you for loving us enough, Father, that you'd be willing to send your son to die in our place to be redeemed to us. And Holy Spirit, Thank you for leading us into all truth, for convicting us of wrongdoing, of doing the work that only you can do to keep us on the right path. To help us choose righteousness and to shun unrighteousness. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are doing all the work enabling us to be what you've called us to be. 
Father God, I just pray that that we properly appreciate and show gratitude to you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all you shall continue to do for us, in us, and through us. For apart from you, we can do nothing. So true that that is. And Lord, I will close this prayer as Paul did in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.